Welcome back to Gabble. I'm Don. And I'm Jonathan. And we are talking about a whole bunch of different things tonight that probably will interest you. Our topic, um, as you have already seen, is on Lamborghini. We're going to be talking about Ferrari. But I think more importantly than that, let's talk a little bit about, uh, this is not just about cars. I think there's a customer service element to this and a people element. Yeah. I I think the culture shift is a thing that was most notable to me in my research. In the research, yeah. it's um, This has been, uh, I've actually enjoyed the topic. I'm not a big motorhead or gearhead. I, no, you know, me neither. I, I'm, I'm not big into cars. I like cars. I like my car, um, and my car is fast. It, it has a, a Hemi engine, and so it's, you know, it, it gets up and goes. But it's not something that I, I could, I obviously when I start talking about it, you pick up pretty quick that I know just enough to be dangerous, mm-hmm. and I don't really do a whole lot when it comes to mechanicing. In fact, very little. Yeah, I appreciate cars, but I don't definitely don't worship them. I don't spend a whole lot of time researching them and knowing all the statistics. I do know a, a little bit. Yes, you know I can carry a conversation, of course, but okay, uh, that I'm not a I'm not a gearhead as you stated. I'm not reading Motor Trend, you know, the magazine. It's, no, oh, I'm. This is. Oh wow, they made. Oh wow, they more added more horsepower, power. more cubic yep. feet. That's there we not go. me. Yep. So, how? Um, let's talk about cars. Let's talk about our cars. There. What were your? Oh. What was your first car? My first car was a, a two thousand. Oh, it might have been a nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine Ford Escort ZX two. Ooh. That's a sport edition. Uh huh. Stick shift. My first car was stick shift and had little uh, two doors. Okay. So, you think Ford Escort, you think the, the round one, this is not that. It's very kind of boxy, more a little sleek. Bit. Okay. More sleek than a hmm. than a traditional Taurus. It had a, the dual overhead cam engine, not the single cam engine with a, which had lots of issues. Okay. So for at least for the Escort, that was the better engine to have. Interesting. I had a nineteen eighty four uh Pontiac Grand Am Turbo. Oh wow. Yeah. And um it was a it was a fun car to drive stick shift, mm-hmm. um, five speed, and there again it was it was a lot of fun to drive. Um, it had low profile tires on it, and it would it would hug the road really good. So it was it was just you know uh, that would probably be the extent of my motor knowledge. But yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed you know racing my friends. Mm-hmm. That was uh, pretty fun. Don't not that I did that. I've, I'm just joking. Of yes, allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly, I you allegedly, ra- allegedly would race my you friends. Ra- yes, yes, of course. Well, I. Um, our, mine was a two uh, two door as well. Now the funny part about it, it was a beautiful car. It looked very nice. The paint was nice on the outside. The interior was nice on the inside, but for some reason the headliner had problems. Oh, the no. owner before me, and so they had taken a stapler, not a staple gun, just a stapler, and they had stapled the headliner back up. So when you got in, if you looked up. It had no spots or anything. Just a bunch of staples. But it was just a bunch of staples everywhere <laughs> in it. And I never fixed it. I never, I, uh, I yeah, I thought, man, this yeah. is what it is. Just so you know, that happens again. You buy that 3M spray glue. They have it at Walmart and all kinds of box stores. It's just spray adhesive. It works great for headliners. Hmm. I don't know if they would have had that back in the... Oh, maybe not. Yeah, this was 90... Go back in time. Grab a can of 3M spray adhesive and go back in time and fix it. Do you ever wonder what happened to your first car? I have thought many times, like... I don't have to wonder. I know exactly where it is. Oh! 
Oh, okay. Do tell. Do you want to? Do you want to? My uh, nephew has it. Oh, really? Yeah, the thing has well over two hundred thousand miles. Last I heard, yeah, he was driving it. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I sold mine to a buddy, and then he ended up selling it probably a year after that. And I've always wondered what happened to that car. As dumb as this sounds, if I ever found it again, I'd probably buy it. Just not that I don't know why. That's I know you're not big into sentimental stuff, but that that just for me, I'd like to have it. That's my first car. I'd like to have it. Interesting. My what about your second car? How many cars do you think you've had? Could, do you remember them all? Or is yeah, too many I re- to count? no, I remember. I probably remember them all. Um, my second car was a 1994 Toyota Corolla. My now I may not have all the years right. My next vehicle was a 1996 Chevy Silverado 2500. Then I bought a Ford 99 Ford Diesel 7.3 uh, 250. Then I bought another 250. Then I bought a 350. After that, wow, you're in the heavy I duty. Bought, oh yeah, three I, quarter ton, one ton. What were you towing? Something heavy? Yes, yeah, okay. towing a trailer. And then I had a, I don't remember the year, a very nice uh, Expedition, King's Ranch Expedition. Then a Hyundai Genesis. And now I am driving a Dodge Durango. Okay. So I, I think that's all my cars. So what is that, 10 probably? Somewhere yeah. in there? You got a lot more than me. Okay. I had the Ford Escort ZX2. Mm-hmm. A Lexus ES300, okay. which is like a Toyota Camry, but the Lexus version. Yeah. After that was a Chrysler 300. Like that was like an 07. Oh, okay. Was, Those are nice. Yeah, it was Those a lot, are nice. That was a great car. Mm-hmm. And after that, I got a Chevy Cruze and then a 2014 RAV4. RAV4 was really nice. Mm-hmm. And now I have a little girl car. Yeah. 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 Okay. We won't even ask. We, yeah. I know uh, what it is, but our listeners, they don't It's have practical and fuel efficient. That's all I'll say about it. Uh, all right. That's all we need to know. Well, what we're talking about today is Lamborghini. And I know from your research, you would know this as well, but our listeners, probably 99% of them will not know. So maybe if you don't mind telling our listeners, where did Lamborghini get its start? Um, as far as what were they doing during World War II? Let's ask that. What were they doing during World War II? Yes. Well, the, the gentleman that now, or not now, but later became to own Lamborghini, as we know it as the car maker, mm-hmm. he was repurposing engines used in wartime. Well, well, yes, okay, but before that, he was an air conditioner guy. Oh, yeah. He did it, air conditioners. Right. Originally, he was doing air conditioners. And, right. re, and he would repurpose and build tractors. Mm-hmm. So originally, Lamborghini was a tractor company. That's right. That's what he did. He was good at it too. He was. He yes. built a lot of tractors, and after the war, agriculture was a very high demand thing, mm-hmm. and tractors were in high demand, and that's why he transitioned out of building air conditioners to building tractors. Yes. And he was. He made a lot of money. A lot he of was money. A young so, man. I think he was in his thirties. He was in his thirties. Okay. Yeah. So he's in his thirties. Um, so, and he actually, I want to say when, when all this got it started, he was like in, in his late twenties. I call him a young man, but he's older than me. Yes. Okay. But, but still young, uh, cause he's younger than me. So he's still young. Um, but when I look at it, so he was a tractor developer mm-hmm. or, you know, manufacturer, he goes from, from ACs 
to tractors. And then he, because he's making all this money, in post-war Italy, he goes and he buys, at the time, what is the most expensive car that could be bought, Mm -hmm. which was... What what any rich young man would do at the time, he bought a Ferrari. A Ferrari. That's it, from Enzo Ferrari. And, And now... Go ahead. He had a lot of critiques about it. He hated that the clutch kept malfunctioning. Yeah, but before that, when we talk about Ferrari, you have to think at this point in time, Ferrari, of course, most expensive car in the the world. And they were were just – everybody that was a celebrity wanted these Ferraris. Yeah. At the time, it was more – I think the wealth at that time was more into investment bankers and – the celebrities weren't really that wealthy. Because what year? We're talking... Um, in the 60s. It would be... Well, in the 50s and yeah. 60s. Yeah. So celebrities were wealthy, but definitely not to the magnitude they are now. Correct. So not only... So there's like a lot of... Princes, like uh, Saudi, and, Saudi Arabian yes. princes and, and things like... Those type of people, oil magnets, yes. people like that. Oil money, investment money, banker money, that kind of thing. Yes. So it was... Um, Anybody that was connected to industry or, or um, like you said, banking, finance. Yes. If you were in a job where people knew who you were or you were head of your firm or a hedge fund, then you, you probably had a Ferrari if you wanted to show off your, what you had. Yes. And so people that were into possessions, they buy these Ferraris. Now, what was pretty incredible that from my research is that Ferrari, when you bought one, it was pretty hands-on. Like you would meet personally with the owner – you would talk with with right. his staff. You had to go. You had to fly or find your way to where their manufacturer was. Yeah, but in the sixties, didn't they only make a couple hundred a year? There, yes. there wasn't that many. There wasn't so that many. A, a, You're right. It was a very personal thing. Experience. Yes, yes, the experience was very personal. So that leads us to Ferrucci Lamborghini, the owner of this tractor company. He's made all this money selling tractors during World War II. And so now he wants to make some investments into cars. And also splurge, you know. That's oh, it. I thought you were going to I'm sorry. No. I, so, so you, I thought you were going to say investments and then splurge, but. But it, it, it yeah. was both. It truly was both. And so he, he buys, didn't he buy two? I think he just bought one and had a lot of trouble with it. Okay. That was his complaint. So he comes uh, to Enzo Ferrari's factory. Yeah, no. and at this time you had to consider. So Enzo Ferrari, he would sit in his office, and it was a line out the door of all these princes and stuff. They would literally line up outside, and he would sit in his office. He he must have had quite the ego because he just wanted to see who was coming to visit him. Yeah, he, he would just sit there and watch. Just he, who's come to visit me today? Yeah, and what's their prestige and what's their title? And yeah, he was very into the highfalutin, high society recognition. Yes, and so. This this Mr. Lamborghini, he buys this car, and he starts having problems, as you've already alluded to. He starts having problems with his clutch, mm-hmm. which obviously it's an expensive car, but it's it's just the clutch. It's not like we're talking about the whole engine. We're not talking about the whole tranny. We're yeah. not talking about. But from his perspective, he he builds tractors. 
and he builds them well. Yes. And tractors are made to, to work. Yes. And when they're not working, hey, you're losing money. So in his eyes, dependability is very, very important. That's true. Because that's what his business is built on, is dependability. Yeah. So here he is. He buys this very expensive item. And guess what? It's not dependable. So mm-hmm. it definitely doesn't meet his expectations. I think he tried to reach out to Enzo Ferrari, but he didn't respond. And that's when he decided to actually well, go to Italy. He, yes, you're right. Um, he actually lived uh, He lived in, in Italy already, but he lived a, a couple of hours away. So that's when he makes an appointment, goes to Enzo Ferrari's, uh, from my research, mm-hmm. goes to his factory. And when he gets there, he asks for an appointment. He starts talking to Enzo Ferrari, and Enzo Ferrari starts talking down to him, which I think is a is a kind of a neat rabbit trail that we can run down when you start thinking about what does it mean to talk down to somebody? Like to you, what do you consider that person just talked down to me? If I suppose if someone's being demeaning or making you, making it sound like you're ignorant to something that they know you're not. Mm-hmm. I think it, I, I totally agree with that. It's any time for me, it's any time somebody is attempting to make what they have, as far as knowledge, appear greater than yours. Okay. I can see that definition. Um, because if I have knowledge that I am trying to make you feel my knowledge is greater than yours, I'm going to make you feel inferior. That's, I talk down to you, I demean you. And so I think... Lesson number one, if we're talking business here, you don't talk demeaning to somebody if you want to build a business. Especially in his game, because remember, we already talked about it's very personal. His business is very face-to-face and exclusive, and you have to be able to afford this, and you're going to get to meet me. And if you're talking down to someone being demeaning, that's hurting your reputation, which is a business built. And this is a business built on reputation. Yes, built on reputation, number one, and built on a reputation of selling to very successful people. Mm-hmm. All these people that could afford this, they're very successful. Don't talk down to somebody, to anybody, but for sure don't talk down to somebody who's had a lot of success. Like, who are you to talk down to me? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Enzo Ferrari starts talking down to him. In fact, he tells him, it's not the clutch. It's your driving abilities. Yeah. Like, who says that in business? So don't talk down to somebody when they've been very successful. That just, like, who are you to talk down to me when I've already been very successful? Yeah, and, he, and Enzo Ferrari obviously knows that this guy's successful because he's buying one, he's of, the, one, buying of, one of these cars. Yeah. That's right. So he decides, and so he tells him, he's like, it's not the clutch. It's not my clutch. It's your driving. Yeah. That not not a way to win friends and influence people. Anyways, so when he refuses to fix the clutch, Ferrucci Lamborghini walks out and he says in that moment, I will build a car that will compete with the Ferrari. He immediately goes and 20 miles away, he buys some acreage of land. And then within a few months, he's already built a factory. Wow. But he doesn't, when he builds his factory, he doesn't know what he's going to do with it. Yeah. I mean, he knows he's going to build cars with he it. He to build cars. But he's built tractors all this time. Like, he doesn't know how to build a car that will compete with the Ferrari. But he is able to poach some, the head engineer of Ferrari 
and he he poaches the man from Ferrari, and that man comes in and starts designing, and it took them two years, but they designed an engine and a concept car that would compete with a Ferrari. That's a really smart business move. He doesn't know how to build a car, but he does know who does know how yes. to build a car, and he's yes. going to go get the guy. Great point. Great point. So don't, the moral of that story is don't talk down to somebody who has money who can poach your employees. Isn't well, that, not <laughs> only that, but I think that's the whole moral of this whole story is we would never have Lamborghini today. That's true. If Ferrari would have simply not talked down to him and said, it's a clutch. Now, maybe it was Ferrari's drive, or uh, Lamborghini's driving. Maybe it was. But he would have never had the competitor. He would have never. Well, I don't know. I, I think competition is natural. I think someone would have saw his his cars yes. and said, you know what? I want to make race cars. And that was pro- there was probably a little bit of that in him already. Mm-hmm. And the straw that broke the camel's back was when this gentleman talked down to him and made fun of his, hey, it's your lack of driving skills, not my cars. They said, that's it. You know what? You need competition anyway. And I got the money to do it. That That is true. And just a but just one moment of saying the wrong words can really bring about an amazing yet a negative um, reaction. When you think about it. now, it's a positive reaction looking back on it now for us. Yeah, because we have both Ferrari and Lamborghini that that can well, be. I have neither, so <laughs> this is true. This is true. Doesn't make a difference to me. By the way, it's a cool how story. How fast? Though. How fast? Do you think a 2020 Lamborghini is right now? A 2020 Lamborghini, like top speed, I'm going to guess 280 miles an hour. Okay. The acceleration? Zero to 60? Zero to 100. Oh, zero to Actually, 100. no, I'm sorry. That would be kilometers. So zero to 62. Zero to 62 miles per hour. How fast? I'm going to say 4.2 seconds. Cut it in half. Almost Whoa. 2.8 seconds from zero to 62 miles an hour. That's fast. Is that the Aventor or what is y- that one? Y- uh, yes. Yes. A uh, Roadster, let's see. I'm just sorry. I'm, I'm scrolling through now, my notes Now, from being here. younger, I remember that the Lamborghini Diablo being iconic. And I didn't remember why until I was researching this episode. Mm-hmm. And the reason it was so iconic and so remembered is because it was the first car production car that people could buy and drive on the streets legally that would go over 200 miles an hour. It broke the 200-mile-an-hour barrier. That's why the Lamborghini Diablo is so, you know, relevant. Now, wh- I I remember as a kid hearing, but I never researched this to find out if it was true, but at one point, was the Lamborghini illegal to drive on the road? Well, I'm sure it's possible. There's so many regulations that you have to pass there's um because i heard it was too fast that it was so fast that that it was kind of an illegal car for normal driving that's as far as i know that's never the case but that is the case with certain exotic cars such as um Kesenig and pagani so pagani makes these cars but the cars are made with entirely the bodies are made up entirely of carbon fiber woven with titanium thread in the carbon fiber they're insanely expensive to manufacture. They're all made by hand. So Pagani has these insanely expensive cars, 
And part of the way to get them to be roadworthy in the United States is you have to produce 10 of them to be crash tested by the U.S. government. Okay. So Pagani can't afford to make 10 multi, you know, $2 million cars and then crash them all. Mm. The company couldn't afford it. Okay. They're too small of a company and the cars are just downright expensive to have, you know, their people work on them for, for weeks and weeks, making them the carbon fiber bodies by hand. Wow. You can't afford to crash test that many. Yeah. So that's the main reason why exotic cars are not street legal in the U.S. is because, you know, people with exotic cars don't want to crash 10 of them. Yeah, that makes good sense. I, I have a question. Speaking of speed, this may surprise you. What is... Okay, so you know what the Lamborghini, 2020 Lamborghini, mm-hmm. 2.8 seconds from 0 to 62 miles an hour. What do you think the Tesla's zero to sixty mile per hour? The is? Tesla, I know it was outrageous, wasn't it? Two seconds flat or one point nine seconds? It's close. Yep, you're very close. It shows right here, and this is probably not. Um, oh yeah, no, you're exactly on it. Zero to sixty, one point nine seconds. Yeah, the Tesla Roadster is supposed to go even faster than that, but the only car. There's also that Porsche. Uh, Porsche. I, what is the name of that Porsche that is uh, competing with the Tesla? Yes. Oh, what is that? It's, I a, can't. it's an electric Porsche, and it is in, incredibly insane. Fast. It's insane just like the fast. Tesla, less than two seconds, zero to sixty. Okay, so my buddy, um, he owned not the not the electric version, but he owned several different Porsches, mm-hmm. and he had actually been sent to their uh, road school. Where they, if you buy one, if you buy a certain model, they'll actually send you to a road school and train you how to drive fast, take corners, all that. It's you know all that kind of stuff. So he's been, I think he's actually been twice to their road school. He went and test drove a Tesla. So this is a guy that is very accustomed to driving fast. Mm-hmm. He drove the Tesla, and when he drove the Tesla, he said the amount of G's that it was pulling. From start to finish, made him physically ill. Wow! That's how many G force G forces it was pulling to do zero to sixty in one point nine seconds. Now, have you ever done a ride along on like a racetrack or anything like no, that? No, no. Okay, let me tell you something. I've done ride alongs on a racetrack for like the Lotus Cup qualifying thing. Mm-hmm. I was, a friend of a friend knew somebody, and I got to go do ride alongs with these people. It is very intense. There's they do you drive with the windows down. I don't know why. And they have these suits that the cold water runs through the suits to keep them cool because it's so hot. Okay. Um, anyway, you're cruising along and you're doing 170 miles an hour, going into a turn, tires are squealing. It is so intense that you sometimes, I've gone on roller coasters, never felt sick. Mm-hmm. But after doing ride alongs on a racetrack, I felt sick. I got out of the car and I thought, oh, I'm going to throw up. Wow. Because it's just so intense. This other person's driving, those race guys, some they're like they were like my age. This guy's twenty. He was I think a couple years ago. So he's twenty five, and I was twenty five. I thought this guy's the same age as me. We're doing two hundred plus miles an hour, going through these turns. <laughs> my life is in his hands. Oh, I know how irresponsible I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I almost wonder if it would be better off if you were driving. Do you think that would have made a difference? Maybe, but it was still intense because there's people in front of you and behind you trying to qualify. And it's very competitive, very intense. Wait, people. you're saying that he, you were riding along, 
during qualifications? No, for the practice for the qualifications. Oh, so got I, it. I, okay. Yeah, I misspoke there. They're practicing for their practice runs of qualifications. Wow. So I didn't get to ride Still in the actual event, though. but I got to ride off the event. My event was piggybacking on the Lotus Cup qualification. It was a racer's class, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. People pay money, they do the seminar, the, the chalkboard time, and then you go get to get, do the ride-alongs. But I didn't have a vehicle, so I, you know, I didn't get to drive. I got to attend the class and then do the ride-alongs. Got it, okay. My buddy uh, recently bought a Ford Raptor Mm-hmm. And they also have a driving school. Those and are neat. That is pretty neat. They go. They have like four different classes or something. You can go to each one. One is uh, like speed. The other is rock climbing of some sort. And I don't remember what the last one is, but the third one I want to say was um, Baja, like jumping mm-hmm. and all of that. The race class was really interesting. I didn't think about... They talk a lot about repetition, mm-hmm. and you have to master the braking and acceleration. It's a lot of hard braking and hard acceleration, not a whole lot of in between. Okay. And they, um, they another thing that I, that was shocking to me is how they clean the track. Between the the laps, they'll go through and they'll clean the track of any debris because a lug nut could break off or a piece of rubber if a tire can c- break off, and if that's there, it can mess up your traction when you're going 170 around a turn, wow. and you could crash. That kind of scared me. When we were doing the classroom and they said, oh, they're cleaning the track right now. We can't go out. I thought, why? They're like, oh, if there's a piece of debris, you know, we'll crash. What? Whoa. Yeah, is, that would be. Is that fragile? Yeah. That's, this guy's 25? That Yeah, that's a little scary. So going back to Lamborghini, he produces this car, shows it at this, at this uh, auto show, and it is just, it's all the, I mean, it, it becomes world renowned in just one moment. But what is so interesting to me is how that it was never really financially solvent. Yeah, both of them. Um, eventually, both of them sold their companies, but they kind of retained, uh, retained operational, operational management. management. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for, um, so Lamborghini, they never they never were really making good money. Chrysler bought them out. Right. Which you would never think that Lamborghini was owned by Chrysler. Like, yeah. I would have never put that together. When you look it up, who owns who, it's very convoluted. It's very convoluted. So Chrysler owned Lamborghini, and Lamborghini started doing well, – actually, before this, um, Mr. Lamborghini, uh, Ferraccio or Ferruccio uh, Lamborghini, he was he – was, another interesting business concept that I thought was cool is he was willing to listen – to his people, even when he didn't like the idea. Right. And that's that's very um, unique. Normally leaders, they say, they're right. I built this company. This is my product. I know what's best. I built it from the ground up. I'm right. Yes. And I'm going to do what I want to do. Yes. But he did not do that. So these guys came to him and said, hey, we think you could do better if you would build this rocket spaceship looking type car and put the engine instead of having the engine in the front. Why don't you put the engine in the middle, right behind the driver's seat? Mm-hmm. And it was a concept that had never been really thought, thought about, and yet they did it. And he said, "This was so cool to me." So they built this concept car, and he's like, "I don't know that this will sell. I don't know that I want to do this." But then he said, "I'll tell you what." If you can drive this car 
and I want to say it was like six hours away or something. There was some event going on. And he said, if you can drive it from here to that event on all these cobblestone roads in Italy and then drive it back, if it makes it back and it's still running, still looks okay, everything's all right, we will build this car. And that car is what put him on the map. Wow. And so to me, that's interesting that he was willing to listen. Mm-hmm. And, and test it. Yes. Yeah. And, and even when he was not for it. He said, you know what? These guys, are they know better than I. They're telling me this will work. And they were right. And he listened. So uh, Chrysler ends up buying them out. And then Chrysler sells when when the uh, Iraq war happened in uh, when Iraq invaded Kuwait. Gas went through the roof. And so all these exotic cars, it was just too much money to run them. Getting nine miles to the gallon or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So... They sold, uh, Chrysler sold out. Long story short, they went through two or three more ownership changes. But guess who owns, I know you know, but why don't you tell our listeners who owns Lamborghini now? Isn't it Fiat Chrysler that owns Lamborghini now? No. No. VW. Oh, that's right. VW. Yeah, they bought VW bought them out, and they have actually made, for the first time, they are now financially solvent and making a huge profit. They never made good profit. They're finally making a profit with yeah, it being under VW. Business people, capitalists that know how to run a business. That's exactly it. And then, you know, something I thought was interesting was how boxy these cars were looking at them. I was like, oh, I forgot how boxy these were because I don't look at them that often. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until when cars became really aerodynamic, when oil was a concern and gas prices were high, the first car to be really... Um, take on the aerodynamic design was the Ford Taurus yeah, in 86. You're right. you're right. That was the first car to be more rounded, the main production car in America to be more rounded and then widely accepted in America. Hmm. No, that makes good sense. And then that transpired to everyone else doing the same thing. And now every car looks alike. L- looks like, <laughs> a, yeah, it looks, they're all, they look like they've been stuck in a wind in a wind tunnel. Yeah, instead of three boxes, they're very rounded, very smooth, and that's to help with you know, aerodynamics, aerodynamics and fuel, and fuel economy. And I just the the whole point of this episode is really that words matter, mm-hmm. and that just a few words can change the world for the better or for worse. Yeah, you're right. And and when I look at this, you know, I would consider it for the better. You know, we have Lamborghini and Ferrari. But from Ferrari's standpoint, it never had to be that way. Right. Well, you're right. It could have been prevented or at least, you know, postponed. Yes, postponed. If that wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. But competition always breeds better a better product. It does. It does. That's why iPhones are good. Is because there's Android. That's right. Because there's competition out there, you're going to have a better product. Yes. My biggest takeaway from the research today, something we didn't quite talk about yet, was how things transitioned in the 90s. Oh, yes, yes. It went away from stockbrokers, hedge funds, bank managers, and all these... Industrialist type. Yeah. yeah. Having the fancy cars to celebrities. So now it's, um, ever since the 90s, it's always it's all celebrities. It's a... Uh, yeah, you know, music movie artists actors, or movie or actors or uh, athletes. Yeah, they're the ones sporting the expensive cars. And even celebrities on the social media platforms and YouTube and all that, those people are the ones supplying the main 
revenue for Ferrari and Lamborghini and and such. Yeah, that is that is very interesting. The change in the tide, basically, of where money exists. Mm-hmm. You know, we think of, and I know that money still exists with bankers, uh, certain you know finance guys and people like that. There's a lot of money in that. But why is it that you think that now more of the celebrity trend to own these exotic cars? Is it because they have so much money, they just got to dump money, get rid of it somewhere for tax purposes? Or or is it because of image? I think it's, I have no idea. I don't really follow celebrities, uh, hardly at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's hard for me to say why they purchased the cars. I, I would imagine it's to to save face and to keep up with the Joneses and hey, they're buying a new car, I better buy a new car too and mm-hmm. you know, I better look the part, I'm a multimillionaire. I think it's some of that. I do also think that some of it is when you just have unbelievable uh, wealth, you just have to spend money on something. You know, I don't know, but I would like to find out. Uh, <laughs> so we ask you to, uh, why don't you subscribe and uh, give us a five-star yeah. <laughs> Give us a five star review. And if we keep going the direction we're going, uh, we, we at some point might be able to figure this out. Yeah, everybody bit. subscribe. Tell somebody else to subscribe. That way I can get a Lamborghini and let you know how it is. <laughs> well, we'll get on here and we'll tell you how it drives. We'll purchase a mobile podcast studio, bring it in a car with us. There you go. That yeah. would actually be fun. In fact, during my, during my research, I listened to a couple sound clips from celebrities that were bringing somebody along and they were recording it mm-hmm. um, as they were driving as fast as they could in their Lambos. And you could almost hear like, oh, oh, ooh, ah, like scared almost. It, it was pretty crazy. I thought that is, that would be kind of fun. Yeah, that would probably be more scary than the racetrack because the racetrack you're racing with, or you're not racing, you're riding along with people who are quote unquote professional. Professionals. Yes. I would be more scared to ride on someone on a public street because especially after they told you about the track cleaning and why they're doing it. Yeah. It's like, especially oh. looking if you're, so we're in California right now looking at the state of California's roads. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying. 100%. Yeah. It's amazing. The small things that can cause a major catastrophe at those kind of speeds. So don't speed. If yeah. you're driving on public roads, yeah. don't speed. Try to try to be good. Well, guys, that's all we had for this episode. I hope you liked it. If you're listening, don't forget to subscribe on wherever you're listening. Uh, If you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to leave a five-star review and leave a rating behind. That really helps out the show. If you want to help the show, that is the best way to do it, and we appreciate your contributions. Also, you can reach out to us. Let us know what you thought at thegabblepodcast at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-G-A-B-L podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing your show suggestions, and we love hearing from you guys, period. So just let us know what you think, and we'll talk to you next week. Adios.